morning. I, I wasn't on yet, I guess. Good morning. Oh, you can hear me. Good. I'm glad to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Praise God. He enables us to worship him. I'm thankful, Taylor, that Jesus paid it all. Not some, not part, all. Sometimes we live our lives as if he just paid part of it, or for some, or and instead of realizing his sacrifice is sufficient, completely sufficient for all my sin. This morning, if you have your Bible, we're talking about the favor of God, and we're going to be looking in Ruth chapter 2. We're going to complete this chapter this, this morning and, and look at that. We'll be talking... Are continuing our talk about Ruth and the lessons we learned from this study of this book. Um, I want to challenge you, instead of many times we, we read stories in the Bible and we try to almost insert ourselves into the story, right? I don't know how many times you've heard the Bible story, oh, well, you can be like David against Goliath, right? Listen, if you were put in David's spot, you would have failed. Apart from God and his, his divine hand on you, you have no hope. You need him. So instead of reading the Bible as a story about just some certain people and saying, well, I, I wish I could be like certain people, read the story and view it as about God. This is a story about God revealing himself to you and to me, to his church. So as you read the book of Ruth, don't, don't say, oh, I wish I was like Boaz or I wish I was like Ruth. Ask yourself, what can I learn about God and how can I apply that to my life? Last week we talked about obedience to God. It brought rest for Ruth and it can bring rest for you and I ultimately if we, we trust in the Lord and we find our faith and hope in him and we, we're obeying him and what he's called us to do to repent and believe the gospel, we find rest. We don't find it just here on this earth. We find it for all eternity, rest in him. There were three principles of obedience we talked about that, that Ruth had confidence in the character of her coach, which was Naomi. She trusted Naomi's advice. You and I must trust the advice of God in his word. We must go back to it over and over and over again, lest we be pulled in to think like the world. Number two, we need to have a willingness to play second fiddle, if you will. That's, that's a call for us to be in submission to the authority God's placed in our lives. Ruth was not afraid to play second string. She didn't have to call the shots. She didn't have to be in control. She learned to submit to the authority God had placed over her. And then lastly, we saw that the last principle of obedience was learning to like leftovers. This is the principle of humility. We must learn to, to humbly do all that God asks of us. Instead of trying to live out in another position or take control of something that, that God's already in control of, we need to submit to his authority and learn to take what he has for us, how he has provided Humbly. Ruth was a servant that God used, and when God could not find a servant in Bethlehem, in the house of bread, we said that's what Bethlehem means. He found one 
in Moab, the wash pot. Never, never let yourself be mistaken thinking, well, I'm important, I'm so good, God has to use me. Lest you find your pride and your arrogance causes you to be humbled by God and God exalts someone who's willing to walk humbly as he's commanded. That's what she did. God showed her favor and blessing and she was willing and able to serve the Lord. There's a a preacher who's been a pastor for as long as I can remember out in California by the name of John MacArthur. Many of you have probably heard about him. And he said this about his ministry. You might want to write this down. He said, a long time ago, I discovered that if I will take care of the depth of my ministry, God will take care of the breadth of my ministry. What does that mean? That means you focus on worshiping God, you humbly submit to God, and if God wants to grow your influence, he will. That's up to him, not you. However, in the, in the American world in which we live, we think we have to exert much forth much force and control over a broad area, and we have it just backwards. I must be in control. I must do this for God. I must fix this for God. That's not what God's Word teaches. Not at all. The same applies at your place of employment. The same applies um, in your home. The same applies in your church. And dare I say, it's not your church. It belongs to God and none other. You need to write that down. During this difficult time that this church is going through, put it on your fridge. FBC Kyle belongs to God, not me. Write it down. If you're too prideful to write it down, beg God to be merciful to you. Because he loves his church, and he will defend her. So we talk about Ruth. We talk about this humility. And she just simply served, and she humbly served, and she was seeking the best for God's glory. And I assure you that if you will humbly serve and seek the best for the glory of God, you will find that God will do amazing things. Things that you cannot even explain. Sometime back in around 1994, I took a job in in downtown Dallas, and I was working uh, in in the IT profession. I wrote software, and I happened to get at this company at just the right time, many would say. Well, you got there at the right time. I found myself being promoted. I found things just going really well. Our business was expanding. We grew this this insurance software that we were writing, and the insurance company grew to write over $300 million of business every year. Our IT department grew, and, and my responsibilities grew with it. One of the things that I could not fathom is People who got there two years after me, one to two years after me, were just as intelligent or more so than I was. But they weren't in the position I was. What was the difference? Timing. God's timing. God had a plan. He he chose me to be in a position of leadership, not because I deserved it, but because God wanted me there. I never could understand that, and and I still don't to this day. 
And then years, you know, a few years later, I, I left that place and I, I entered into full-time pastoral ministry. And, and I, want you to, I, want you, I want you to hear something. I've learned a lot of things pastoring churches. The number one thing I've learned is if God doesn't do the work, the labor's in vain. If God doesn't work in the hearts and the lives of people, there's no value in the work. None. You and I are in no position to do God any favors. Right? But when God favors us, we must serve Him faithfully. That's what Ruth did. God chooses who he wants to bless, and I believe we must be ready not just to receive this blessing, but to also faithfully, humbly, and obediently serve. Are you ready? I hope you are. Let's pray before we look at this passage, because you're going to see humility, you're going to see obedience, and you're going to see faithfulness throughout the life of this woman named Ruth. What an example to us. Let's pray before we look at God's word. Father, help us, teach us, grow us in you. Help us to hear your voice. God, I I pray that I would hear your voice this morning. God, that these people would hear your voice and not this one that resides in this particular body that's preaching today. God, I pray that you would remove the things from me that would hinder the, the move of your spirit. God, we pray that your spirit moves in the hearts and lives of people. God, help us to to follow you faithfully. God, I pray that you would teach us according to this book of Ruth, God, that, that describes a story about you. Help us to see you this morning, that we might worship and obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand with me as we read the word of God. We're beginning in Ruth chapter 2, verse 8, and it says this, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have uh, comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And she sat beside the reapers and and, and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, 
Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman, uh, women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. You may be seated. This passage gives us four truths that I think we need to to understand about servants who receive God's favor. It is obvious that God's hand is on Ruth. She came from a foreign land, a land known as the wash pot. She came to this town called Bethlehem, the house of bread, and all of a sudden she leaves a place where she has no family but Naomi. She comes with her. She follows after Naomi. She follows Naomi's God and finds God's provision. In the house of bread, she's finding that God is the one who provides. So there's four things, four truths about servants who receive God's favor. Number one, true servants recognize God's favor. They recognize it. They are aware of it. As Ruth gleaned the fields of Boaz, he noticed her, verses 5 to 7. And then Boaz began to place his hand of protection over Ruth, even before they had this conversation. But look what happened to Ruth in verse 10. Look at what she says. Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? She recognizes she's a foreigner. and That that, that means something because she knew she was not of this people of God. She knew that, that to them she was actually unclean. She was unclean before God and before this people, but somehow God had shown her favor through this person of Boaz. He took notice of her. You know, sometimes there's just no other explanation other than God chose to place his hand on someone. I hope as you think about your own salvation and the cross, you look back at it and think, I did nothing to deserve that. I had no hope there. I, 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 didn't even, I didn't even know what I was looking for. When you turn to Christ, maybe you look back now and you say, look at what God has done. I hope you do. I hope you're grateful for that. There was a coach some years ago in, in Indiana. If you know the history of Indiana University basketball, you know it, it has some rich basketball tradition. There was a guy years ago by the name of Bobby Knight that was there for years. Bobby Knight left. When he came in, there was another guy that followed him by the name of Mike Davis. And, and this was many years ago in the Final Four tournament. I know we're coming up on, on that again in, in this year. But this Indiana coach, Mike Davis, repeated the same phrase almost every time he was interviewed. 
He gave God credit for the success, and he was replacing one of the great all-time coaches that had ever coached there. You know what he said every time he was, he was interviewed? He said, God has shown me favor. Just simply that. God has shown me favor. He worked hard for this success, but so did many other coaches. They all work hard, but God chose to bless him, and he recognized God's hand and, and wanted God to be glorified in it. You know, many times God chooses to bless us with success in business, in school, or, or, or even with family. And when God blesses us, we need to recognize where it comes from. Remember the song, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One? Hmm. Does it ever surprise you what the Lord has done? No, it doesn't go like that, but that's the, the gist of it, right? So you need, you need to be mindful of where these things are coming from in your life. Are you, even, are you even grateful for what God's done? Are you recognizing from where these, thing come, these things come from? In the book of Luke, chapter 16, Jesus is telling a story. He's telling the story about a rich man and Lazarus. You remember the story? And they both die. The rich man gets to go to hell. And Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham. What happened? The whole life, the rich man lived his life as if he earned the money. If he had the success. If he was the one who was accomplishing things. And, the, and the, Lazarus was just living on the mercy and depending on God. You know... When God favors us, there comes some responsibility with it. It's called humility, and we'll see that in a moment. But, but there must be some humility to say, I didn't earn this, I didn't deserve this, for it is by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, not that anyone can boast or brag about it. Right? You know Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We tell it to the kids all the time. But oftentimes, we live in a culture that thinks we deserve stuff. What a blessing when God shows you favor. And if they go unnoticed, those so-called blessings usually wind up being curses. Right? You have a lot of stuff. You say, well, I'll build bigger barns and I'll store my stuff and then I can kick back and I can just take life easy because I've got it made. And Jesus' word to that man was that poor soul for tonight. He will give his life and his life will be taken and that stuff will belong to someone else. Your stuff is not your blessing. And I would dare say Ruth recognized that. She recognized the favor of the Lord was not in the stuff she was getting but it was in the favor of God's hand through Boaz. What blessing or favor has God shown you? Number two, true servants are humbled by God's favor. There should be some humility when you begin to recognize the favor of God. Look at verse 10. Just before she said that, that word why to Boaz, the first thing she did in verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, why? Right? She said, why? Why have I found favor in your eyes? But, but she's recognizing the favor, but before that, she's even humbled. 
Ruth took a position of humility. She realized that she did not deserve this favor more than anyone else. I think I've mentioned this to you before. Anytime where you see the presence of God show up and people are confronted with the presence of God, their first instinct is not to shout. It's not to run up to the presence of God and do whatever you want. It's usually on your face before God or it's to remain silent. Go read about the dedication of the Temple of Solomon. When the presence fell, the priests couldn't even speak. There was no sermons being preached. There was nothing being said. Why? All anyone could do is remain silent. Take a position of humility. She didn't deserve this favor any more than anyone else would deserve it. But how many times have you seen in our country, and we, we love to point at the other guy and only to have someone get up and make a speech like, well, it's about time I got what I deserved. Or maybe they, maybe they clothe it in what I would call a false humility. I'm so thankful to be presented with this honor, you know, you know, you, you know the tone. It's that it comes across as, well, I'm so humbled to be given this, but I really deserve it tone that's behind it. She didn't have that. That's not humility at all when you hear that. That's called false pride. And the Bible condemns that as well. Listen, if you have to tell someone how spiritual or how humble you are, you're probably not. I know you're not. My oldest son started this joke around our house. One day we're, we're talking and my wife and I were talking to the kids about humility and, hey, we need, we need to have humility around here. And, and he, he just turns to me and says, Dad, you need to know something. My humility is excellent. He was joking, of course, you know, um, because he's the sarcastic son. Um, sadly enough, though, some people believe that about themselves. If you believe you're humble, you're probably not. True servants of God don't tell others that they're good servants of God. Ruth's work was well known. Back up to verse 5 through 7 of this text and you find her work was well known. I worked my first job out of out of college. Well, actually it was not my first job out of college, it was about my third job out of college. Uh, I worked for uh, a technology company in Plano, Texas, and, and I was working there for a while. It was a large company, and, and I, it, there was, I had a lot of people that, that I loved to work with, and they were hard workers, and, and we would work hard. What got really nauseating was to watch people go hang out in their boss's office all day long and tell their boss how great their boss was and hang out with their boss and basically get no work done other than talk to their boss and puff their boss up. You know, everyone else that that watched that couldn't stand it. it. It was nauseating. Why? People know the truth. Even in a town the size of Kyle, people know the truth about you. Right? They know who you are. They know if you're really humble or, or, or if you're prideful. None of us need to advertise our spiritual relationship to say, patting ourselves on the back, saying, man, aren't I good? If you have a close walk with the Lord, people know it, but most importantly, God knows it. 
If you'll focus on the depth of your ministry, God will take care of the breadth of your ministry. Wherever that is, whatever that is. James 4.10 reminds us, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5.6 says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. Psalm 37.11, but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Test your humility. Ask yourself this question, what blessings have God, has God given me that make me feel unworthy? Start with your salvation. If you think you, you deserve your salvation, if you have contemplated, well, well you know, I, I deserve it. Why? Well, because I did what I was supposed to. I prayed the right prayer, or I did the right thing, or you know, I, I, I check all the boxes when it comes to church. I, I'm, I deserve it. If, if that's your view of your salvation, you have the wrong view of your salvation. For it is neither earned nor deserved. It is the gracious gift of God. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of yourself. Ruth knew this. Ruth knew this well, and she was humbled. She, she was bowed face to the ground. Number three, true servants, true servants accept God's favor. We see this in verse 13. Listen to what verse 13, she said, then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. So she goes from this humble state of humility to saying, why, why have I found this favor? She's recognizing it to finally acknowledging it verbally. I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not like one of your servants. What's she talking about? Well, there's a lot of things that could be wrapped up in there, but one for sure is she's a foreigner. She's not a Jew. She doesn't deserve the kindness and the favor of Boaz. Ruth, though, accepts God's favor. She was ready to give glory where it belonged. She's, she's acknowledging, Boaz, you're amazing for doing such a wonderful thing, but ultimately she's acknowledging that God is giving favor. There once was a, a preacher by the name of Billy Graham, and I hope one day the young people will, will know and hear and continue to hear more about him. He never intended to become the greatest evangelist on, on the planet during his day. He, he never intended that. Back in his younger days, the press followed him around, and, and he admitted it, it scared him. He, he put a, a people of accountability around him that would hold him accountable with his lifestyle and they guarded him. But one day, he was in Los Angeles, and some movie producers found him out, and they offered him, hey, a big contract. Sign this contract. We want to do three movies on you. You can make all this money. And, and you know, any one of us would have rationalized, hey, I can use that money and dump it in my ministry. A few days later, Billy Graham was found to be in New York, and the media was having a field day questioning his motives for being in ministry because they heard he was going to do three movies in Hollywood. When Billy Graham was questioned, he paused for a moment and he said, if I cared about the fame, I would have signed the contracts in L.A. that they offered me, but I want no part of it. 
It was then that the New York media realized his sincerity and humility into the work that God had called him to do. You see, a true servant of God accepts God's favor and realizes that there must be wisdom in the blessing God has given, even in the other small decisions that need to be made. One false move, and we become a hindrance to what God is asking us to do. By the way, if you look in this text and and you, you see how she's wording this word favor, the word favor here translates in a word that's a one-way word. The favor flows from the superior to the inferior. Now, that's, that's, that's good. It's interesting, isn't it? You and I can do God no favors, for we are not superior to him. We are inferior. We are dependent on his favor. Have you come to the place where you've realized that that you have done God no favors, but in your humility you know that God grants favor to you? In the Bible it's called grace. It's grace. It's God's grace. Unmerited favor. Write this down. God needs nothing from me. And I need everything from him. God needs nothing from me. I need everything from him as the giver and sustainer of life. You don't need money. You don't need stuff. You need God. You need him and only him. Listen, if you've read the book of Job, you go back to Job 2.10, Job said this to his wife, shall We indeed accept good from God and not adversity. So Job starts off, and he's got everything, right? If you read the book of Job, there was no one righteous in all the land like Job. And God is the one who brought the suggestion to Satan, by the way. Hey, have you considered my servant Job, right? Remember the story? And Satan's like, oh, he'll he'll curse you if, if you just let me take everything. And God gives him permission to do some stuff, right? Takes all his children, all his, his work, leaves him in poverty, brings disease on his body, and Job will not curse God. God takes Job from prosperity to poverty, and, and Job is still going to worship God. God is taking Ruth from poverty to abundance, and Ruth is going to worship God. Does it really matter if you think you're in the midst of cursing or blessing from God? How can you not worship Him? How can we not? See, a true servant accepts God's favor, but it's nothing more than an acceptance of saying, okay, God, I know you're doing this, but my worship still belongs to you. Do you accept both trials and blessings from the Lord? Do do you ever get frustrated and say, man, why, why is God doing this to me? I've been so good all my life. Really, there's no one good No one, not at all good, right? Except God alone. We deserve nothing. Lastly, true servants are accountable for God's favor. We see this from verse 14 through the end of the chapter. True servants know that they must give an account for God's favor. In verse 16, Boaz chose to let her labor, Ruth's labor, be fruitful. 
He purposefully allowed her to, to glean from the best. And then on top of that, he said, oh, by the way, guys, take some of the grain out of your sack and throw it on the ground so she can have it. You see, servants know when they work with a humble heart that God will grant blessing and abundance. Maybe not to to give them everything they want, but all that they need and more. Ruth knew that that she was being shown shown favor and abundance, but she still had to do the work. Don't miss that, that teaching either in this text. She still had to bend over, pick up the grain, and put it in her sack. She was given blessing from God, just like the children of Israel out in the wilderness. When God fed them manna from heaven, they still had to go out daily and harvest. Many of us want to see a a church body grow to big numbers, but we don't want to do the work. Jesus said, look up, the fields are wide into the harvest, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that God would send laborers. What does that mean? God has commissioned you to do work in his ministry. Yes, God provides the growth. Yes, yes, God provides the grace. Yes, God calls people to salvation. But he has commissioned us with proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. How can we expect growth from God if we don't do his work? God may choose to bless you, but he does not mean, that does not mean that he desires for you to become lazy and not carry out your part as a servant. What motivated, what motivated Ruth to do this work? That's, that was my question. I'm like, I'm reading the text like, what motivates her? Well, we're not told in this text, but I think if we look at the whole of scripture, we can find out why. And there's a story that kind of illustrates it. There once was a man who was an airplane mechanic, and he kept all of his engines in tip-top shape. And he lived down the street from another guy who was an auto mechanic who kept his engines in tip-top shape as well. But the, the auto mechanic noticed something about the airplane mechanic's lawnmowers. Like, man, they just ran better. And he, he couldn't figure it out because they both did the work on the engines. And he got to talking to him one day. He's like, oh, I use a super high-powered octane in, in all my lawn equipment. He's like, oh, that must be the difference. You see, Ruth was the same way. Ruth was running on the super pure fuel of amazing love for God. And his provision for her life through Boaz. You see, there's an amazing fuel that drives a servant's motor, if you will, and it's, it's the fuel of God's amazing love. But how do you know that you have that? You see, we love because he first loved us. You must know him. You, you must understand that you don't have the capacity to even love apart from him. That's why it's important that you know who you are in Christ. It's important that you realize that we love because he first loved us. There's a great song about that, and the, the words are, uh, the shortened part of it is, amazing love, how can it be that my king would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. In all that I do, I honor you. You see, 
you'll be filled with an amazing love if you recognize the amazing love of God in your life. How does your life sing to the Lord because of his amazing love for you? 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Hmm. We're accountable for God's favor that causes a hope to dwell in us. And that amazing love fuels our service for Him, and it's to be done gently with reverence for the Lord. Are you ready to give an account for your life like that? Ruth was. Ruth is sitting here proclaiming the favor of God. She's recognizing it. She's humble. She's she's accepted God's favor, and she's accountable. She's ready to do some work, and she does because she's powered by His amazing love. You know, those of you who who call yourself Christ followers, you are powered by an amazing love. Focus on Christ. You see, when we take our eyes off of Him, we become become powered by our own desires and, and, and wants. And the flesh begins to take over quickly. Turn your heart back to Christ. Focus on Him and understand the love that He's given. It will humble you. It will cause you to be empowered by His amazing love. Maybe God's calling you this morning to turn from your sin and trust in the payment that Christ made for you on the cross. You see, in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, sin distorted the image in which we were all created. It it took away the image of God and and, and was replaced by this image of sin that marred us, that, 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 that made us have to be separated from this holy God. But God in His great love demonstrated for you while you and I were still in sin. He sent Jesus to die. Oh, amazing love. How can it be that my Savior died for me? How can it be? And He offers to redeem people, to buy them back, as we'll see Boaz do for Ruth, to buy them back out of a lost estate and cause And through Christ, we can be bought back. But the Bible commands us for that to happen. We must repent of our sin to turn away from who we are and trusting in ourselves and trust only in the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. Maybe that's you today. Maybe God's leading others of you to follow in obedience to baptism, to give a testimony that that's already you. You've already done that, but you want the world to know that Christ died for you and you want to live for him. Maybe God's calling you to be a part of this church, this church family. We would love to to discuss with you how that can happen and and help you you, uh, find a place to fit in and serve here. Maybe God's just calling you to live out a life, recognizing his favor, saying, God, please fill me with your amazing love that I might be a testimony to those around me. I pray that you would respond however the Holy Spirit urges you this morning. As we have our time of response here in a moment, would you stand to your feet as we pray? Father, we come before you this this day, this morning. We ask that you would be glorified in this place. God, there's, there's nothing special about this building. But there is something special about your son, Jesus Christ, who lives in the hearts and the lives of believers here.
And God, when we're here, the church is here. And this morning, we pray that you move in the hearts and the lives of those in your church. And God, those that are not, we pray that you call them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and that you may be glorified. God, we pray that you pour down your favor on a people unworthy, showing us that yet you still love us. God, be glorified today. And God, find us an obedient people in Jesus' name. Amen.